0: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm answering your questions. Questions about herb-drug interactions, fresh versus dried herbs, echinacea tincture, and bee balm. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. So, today I'm going to start out with a bit of a doozy of a question. I received this um, over my email from a listener, and of course, it was way too vast of a topic for me to write in the email. So, I'm finally um, getting to answering it. And I took last week off for Thanksgiving for the podcast, and I've been doing a lot of work on another project and a lot of writing. So, that's very exciting. And I have been dragging my feet a little bit on doing this podcast. I really want to address this topic about herb-drug interactions, but it's a little bit of a scary topic to address, especially to the grand public. So before I answer this question, I just want to remind you that I definitely am not a doctor. I'm not even a clinical herbalist. What I am is a home herbalist. Um, And what I want is for people to be able to feel comfortable and confident working with common everyday herbs to help improve their health. And that's what this podcast is designed for. So let's get into the question and we'll take it from there. The question is, hello, I have a question in regards to Hawthorne. Would it be safe to mix with heart medication that someone has already been taking, as well as someone who is diabetic? And what would the best way be to take it? So that's the question, and as I was saying, it sounds like a very simple, straightforward, basic question, maybe even a yes or no answer question, but it's actually a pretty hard question to answer for a number of reasons, mostly because well, to answer it, I'm going to explain why I can't answer it and then how you can think about the topic so that you can be able to answer it for yourself or concepts behind the thought process in deciding whether or not you're going to work with an herb and resources that you can access to figure that out. I will say that if you are if you do have like a serious medical Condition and you're working with a lot of herbs and you want to, and you're working with a lot of prescriptions and you want to start working with herbs also to help improve your health. Um, that's a noble cause and I, I'm all for it, but I would suggest, you know, if you can find a local clinical herbalist in your neighborhood, um, that could be helpful or, someone who's willing to work with your doctor or a doctor who's willing to be open-minded about herbs. Um, So, all right, let's dig in a little bit more. I want to talk about how we can generally think about herbs and drug combining and how people can make their own informed decisions for for, for yourself and for your own health. So first off, this question is way too general. It's It's, you know, who is the person that we're talking about? Is it you or is it someone else? If it's someone else, are they actually interested in herbs or is this something that you're going to be presenting to them and maybe they don't want or they're afraid of herbs or they don't want to take the herbs? Because that unto itself, like, is there going to be a drug-herb interaction? Like, our bodies are so complex and vast that even a thought process in my opinion, could interact with the effectiveness of a drug. Like, you know, if you already have in your mind that herbs are going to interact with drugs and you are taking a drug for heart issues and you then take an herb but you're scared and then in your thought process you're like, oh, it's going to interact, it's going to interact, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, then any little thing that happens you're going to think that it's the herb-drug interaction or maybe even... Um, you know, creating something. so so anything, drugs and drugs, food and drugs, emotions and drugs, thought process and drugs, drugs in the body, it's all so complex and variable. Our bodies are all so variable that it's really somewhat of an impossible question to answer, but I am going to answer it to the best of my ability. So the question being so general, like we don't know who the person is, um, we don't know what their heart condition is, we don't know what medications there are, they're on, or one or more. And again, I don't know anything about medications because I'm an herbalist. And a lot of doctors don't know anything about herbs because they're a doctor and they don't have training in herbs. And same with pharmacists. It's rare that you'll find a pharmacist who has training in herbs because they're very, very, very different things. And so a lot of doctors have, they have a lot of liability behind them. So the safest thing for them to do for themselves is to say, don't take any herbs with drugs. And the safest thing for an herbalist to do, because they don't want the liability as well, is to say, we don't know, you know, if you want to be extra cautious, just don't mix um, unless they're very experienced and knowledgeable herbalist. So all the liability around, like, what if I were to say right now, yes, Hawthorne is totally safe. <clears throat> it can, you can just take it however you want, go for it. And then the next day, this person has a heart attack after taking Hawthorne. Was it the Hawthorne? Was it the heart condition? Was it various medications? Was it the state of, was it anxiety or stress? I mean, it could get linked to Hawthorne and then it could get linked to, to this podcast and then it would be like, oh, but so there's a lot of, it just feels like a scary question to answer because you never know how people are going to take it. So these are all th- questions to think about, thoughts to think about when you're going to ask an herbalist a question even. And then how much trust and faith are you putting in me? Um, and I appreciate you putting trust and faith in me. And I'm glad that I'm building a, a trust foundation through this podcast. Um, And I hope that this answer provides you with more trust for me as well, because, um, you know, who, you don't know who I am other than through this podcast, and are you going to really take my word for it? So I'm going to give you some other resources of places that you can check, um, reliable resources as well for questions like these. Okay, so another thing that I want to address in this question is the word safe. And safe is an interesting word, right? Safe in comparison to what? In everything that we do every day, as as soon as we get out of bed, there is a safe versus reward thing that's going on. Um, You know, if we get out of bed, are we going to stub our toe? Is it safe? Are we going to slip and fall and sprain our back? Is it safe? Um, If we're going to get in a car and drive somewhere, is that safe? How safe is it? Um, Life is full of choices, and we're always weighing, whether we're conscious of it or not, risk versus reward factors. Everything from drinking a cup of coffee to driving down the road to eating at a restaurant, everything that we do has a consequence. So again, is something safe? is anything a hundred percent safe like and this is a very weighted word, I feel like as well I will say i don't i don't uh, since I brought up coffee, I will say that there's a the coffee spectrum of verbalism, so if you think about and I think James Duke was who first brought this up and started comparing herbs to coffee on the safety spectrum. So coffee is a very prevalent, popular, powerful herb that most people in America, I would say, the majority of people, adults in America, consume in large quantities on a daily basis, a majority of people. And coffee is a very, very strong herb, and it has... Side effects and it had it's a very strong stimulant, so and it has some very bitter qualities to it, it has caffeine in it, it, ha- it has addictive qualities to it. So, this is an herb that we can compare other herbs to on a safety spectrum, right? So, where does hawthorn play on the safety spectrum compared to coffee, right? And hawthorn is. Closer to an apple, it's like a concentrated apple. it's in the same family as an apple. And it's a lot smaller, it actually has a lot less sugar because it doesn't have all that sugary juicy pulp to it that an apple has. It's basically like all of the health constituents of an apple shrunken without the sugar into a tiny little fruit. all the bioflavonoids there, okay. So that's something when you're considering safety of herbs to consider it compared to coffee. So the first thing, one of the first things that I think is really important to acknowledge when we're thinking about questions like this is that herbs, when worked within their whole form, are not drugs. They do not act like drugs in the body. They are concentrated plant foods. Or they could be poisonous plants, which really when we start working with poisonous plants, they tend to be the really poisonous plants tend to be, have been made into drugs. So the heart medicine digitoxin was originally made and extracted from digitalis, which is a very poisonous herb, which could cause a heart attack in certain amounts, but in other amounts it could mediate one. So it's an herb that because there is so much variation in the natural world that it's not safe to work with strictly poisonous herbs because you really don't know the dosage of each herb because of how it was grown or when it was harvested or what the soil was like or any of that so it's a lot safer to turn these drugs these herbs into drugs because we can regulate the dose we can know exactly what we're taking That is not important when we're working with food-like herbs and nourishing herbs. In fact, it's the opposite of important. When we're working with food-like nourishing herbs, we want the variation. We want the complexity of the plant. But with poisonous herbs, we don't really want the complexity because the complexity can kill. And now digitoxin, I would imagine, is... um, Made, not, no longer extracted from herbs, but probably synthesized. In the laboratory, they probably synthesized the exact constituent that they originally extracted from digitalis. So when it's really hard to compare herbs to drugs, but that tends to be what we want to do, because in today's culture, in America anyway, I think we're so far down generationally that we don't that what we know of medicine and herbs, uh, sorry, medicine and healing is drug therapy. That's what we know. And so we assume that if anything is a medicine, it must be act like a drug. But herbs in their whole forms act very differently than drugs and work in different pathways. So it's hard to compare them. So er, drugs have a specific direction of action. If you take a drug, it will either specifically lower uh, or potentially raise high blood pressure. Obviously, we're going to take it to lower blood pressure. Usually we take drugs for that, so it's going to lower it, and it will lower it no matter what. Whether it needs to be lowered or not, you take the drug, it's going to have that specific direction of action. Whereas Hawthorne and many other other herbs like it uh, tend to be modulators because of their complex variation within the plant and the nutrition that they bring to the body. They help the body come to more of a homeostasis, a normal and healthy functioning of the body. And Hawthorne has a specific affinity for the heart and the cardiovascular system, as well as other parts of our body, our nervous system, our collagen. I mean, there's a lot of benefits are through the body for ingesting Hawthorne. It normalizes functioning. It has the ability over a long period of time to help the body maintain a healthy blood pressure, whether it needs to be raised or lowered. It provides the body with the nutrition it needs to be able to do that. It doesn't necessarily force the issue like a drug would because it feeds the body. And these things often take time and it needs consistent ingestion to achieve this over a long period of time. It does have the ability to vasodilate to kind of open the capillaries and the veins so that blood can more easily flow. And that might be more of an immediate effect. But again, it's working in very different ways. So drugs rarely heal, right? They generally, we take drugs to fix things. We take drugs to fix our numbers. So we measure and fix in the scientific tradition of healing. So we go to the doctor, they take a bunch of measurements, and then they give us a drug to fix our bodies so that our measurements are within the normal healthy range, whether it's high blood pressure, cholesterol, what have you. And it tends to be that they often will have consequences and harm. The drugs will. Herbs aren't like that. The more we consider herbs as food, And work with food like herbs and food like remedies, the better off we'll be in working with them. I tend to not use poisonous herbs like digitalis, I would never use that, or Lily of the Valley. Save that for the drug makers and let them create health, you know, careful medicines from those plants and the constituents in those plants. So when we talk about, and the good part of the question that was asked is, in what form would I take Hawthorne? When we talk about herbs being like drugs or not like drugs, there's a big spectrum here in different ways that we can take herbs. In some ways, are going to be more drug-like and more drug-like acting than other ways. And again, as home herbalists, I think the best way is the more food-like way and on one side of the spectrum. So we'll start with the more drug-like way, just an overview of how we take herbs and how we prepare herbs. And so herbs can be turned into drugs or made to be more like drugs by extracting the poisons that are in them and leaving out the nutrition that's in them. So the most common drug herb, I would say, drug-like herb remedy out there are essential oils and that these are basically you're extracting one active and also poisonous ingredient of the herb, which in super tiny amounts is medicinal, but in really large concentrated amounts can really cause harm to the body. So essential oils are a prime over-the-counter example of an herb that has been extracted, concentrated, purified, and turned into a drug. Another way... Um, that this happens for over-the-counter, quote unquote, herbal remedies, are in standardized extracts. And these are made by, and you'll find these in most health food stores in the herb aisle, and they are, or any grocery store that sells herbs or wherever. So it's an herb where they are, again, they're trying to cut down the variability. So they'll have, usually it's a capsule or a tablet, that has a filler of maybe the base herb, powdered material, but then they'll also have an extract of one constituent that they will put into that capsule in a standardized dose so that you know exactly how much of that one constituent you're taking in a capsule. So the herb is no longer whole, and it's been... um, It's been concentrated and extracted and purified so that really when you're taking that remedy, you're just taking that one active constituent plus a little fluff filling in the capsule and tablet. So that's going to be more drug-like as well, and that's something that I would stay away from. Um... Because if you are going to have some sort of interactions with either herbs or any side effects or um, interactions with drugs, it's going to be from a standardized extract. It'll be more likely from a capsule or a tablet of an herb because these are, they're basically like soft drugs. They're not whole herbs. They are not digested in the body because they're in a tablet and capsule form. So they actually are processed differently. They're processed like drugs, and the drugs are going to seek out the poisons, the more strong constituents from those capsules and tablets, and work on those constituents. And that can cause more trouble than it's worth. I would never take an herb these days in a capsule or a tablet because they are the most dangerous, least effective and most expensive way to take an herb and there have been multiple consumer reports studies and other studies of people um, you know looking at what's actually in those capsules and tablets and rarely is it exactly what they say it is. It usually has other additives fillers, different herbs in it it doesn't even meet up to what this what it says it contains on the box. And there's no regulation of it. There's no overseeing body of these herbal supplements because they're not considered to be drugs. So it's, it's, you're putting a lot of trust and faith in companies who might not have the strictest codes that they have to adhere to. So I, would never, I wouldn't take Hawthorne in a capsule or a tablet, <laughs> to answer your question, on a way to take an herb. So the next down the line, as far as <clears throat> turning herbs into drugs, would be the percolation tincture method. So in this method, we powder herbs Well, we dry them. We powder them. We take a super high proof like ethanol alcohol, grain alcohol, and pour it into the powdered herb and slowly just let it drip through the powdered herb and filter out into a bottle. So it's the first, so you're, so, so far you've powdered the herb and now you are having the alcohol just go right through it. And so that's going to be extracting the poisons, the main poisonous parts of the plant. And it makes very potent tinctures um, and more drug-like tinctures because it's really going after the extremely medicinal parts of the plant. So those I also avoid, percolated tinctures. I don't really choose to work with them as a home herbalist. Next down in order are the high-proof tinctures where you're chopping up your herb. It might be a dried herb and you're letting it sit in a high-proof alcohol for, you know, six weeks or whatnot and then straining it out. Next down the line, and this is where I start, this is where my safety standards start with herbs, is 100-proof vodka and I love fresh herbs, ideally, so that you're going to get more modulating nutrients and more balancing constituents from when you, have herb, when you have alcohol and water and the herbs, especially fresh herbs, sitting in it for a long period of time, six weeks or so. Then we have uh, herbal vinegars, decoctions, nourishing infusions, teas, teas infused waters, preserves. These are all food-like extractions of herbs. And generally, unless you're taking them in extremely large amounts, generally considered to be as safe as food. Again, there's that word safe. (laughs) So, you know, it's, um, You know, the more food like the herb is and the more food like the remedy is, the more modulating and nourishing it's going to be on the body. And that's where, as home herbalists, I think it's the best place where we work with herbs. If you want to start working with herbs and treating them like drugs, unless you are very experienced and knowledgeable, it would be best to work with a clinical herbalist. Okay, next Next topic I want to talk about relating to this question is often when herbs, quote unquote, interact with drugs, they do so by making the body healthier. So the drug is not needed in the dose it was prescribed at. So it actually is um, where the herb and the drug are working on the same body system and the drug, again, that but they're working differently. So the drug is prescribed, and these days, some people call them subscription drugs, where it's they're not really designed to heal the body. They're designed to keep you within your measurements and that you need to be taking them for the rest of your life. It's not like, oh, the goal is that we're going to make your heart healthier so that you won't need to take these drugs anymore. At least that's my understanding. I could be wrong. Um. So but do they make the body healthy? Do they improve the health of the heart? Is the goal of the drug to eventually become off of the drug, or is it just to keep the numbers in a range where they want to be? And maybe that's what has to happen, and that's there, you know, drugs are really important in keeping us alive, but they're not necessarily important in improving our health. And there's a huge difference there. But again, in today's medical culture that diff that difference is skewed to some degree, so if a plant if you're ingesting a plant a food like plant and it's making your heart healthier, and then it might be that the the dosage of the drug now is too much, or the dosage of the drug might need to be tweaked because your body is changing and the dosage of the drug is based on fixity and we are changing and improving our health and so ideally the drug will have to be reduced so this is something to be aware of anytime that you're working with herbs and also taking drugs and these are especially important for people who are on drugs that like for diabetes that affect your blood sugar and again you I mean you have to look at How your food is affecting your blood sugar, and that's going to change your dose of insulin or any other drug that you're working with. And so, herbs are the same way. If you're working with herbs and they're going to change your blood sugar, and a lot of herbs, there are many herbs that help to regulate, modulate blood sugar levels, lower blood sugar levels, then you're going to have to be aware of that if you're also taking um, insulin. But usually, if you're taking insulin, you are, you are checking and keeping track of your levels anyway. So again, like if you're taking an herb to improve your health and the drug is keeping you in, in a fixed place, you need to be in touch with your doctor, which you probably are if you're on drugs and make sure that they're modulating, that they are checking on your dose and making sure that you are still taking the correct dose for yourself. Sometimes people choose, they'd rather just, they don't want, you know, if both things are working to change one organ system, if a drug and an herb is working to change both organ systems, some people will say, well, I'm just going to stick with the drug because it's easy, it's working for me, I trust it, I trust my doctor, this is the system I'm in, and that's fine. Some people will say, well, if they're both working for me, then why would I, then maybe I'll, if the herb's going to work then maybe I don't need the drug. But they want to work with your doctor in as you lower and eventually come off of your drug if that is your goal. You have to figure out what your goal is here if you're working with herbs. And herbs take longer to work, and they need a more effort into the process. So A lot of times that's why we have drugs is because herbs, it takes a lot more work to work with an herb to build health. It takes a longer amount of time and you have to usually take more of it. You have to be on top of the ball here with them. You can't just let them sit in your cabinet Um, You can't just take them once and be done with it, It's especially with these nourishing herbs. It's how can you incorporate them into your lifestyle, and that can be hard sometimes. And so sometimes the drug is the choice because it's easy. So there's um, a podcast that I really have enjoyed listening to for a long time, and it's called Ask Herbal Health Expert, and it's with Susan Weed. And it's a call-in show, so people call in, and she answers the questions, and there are a lot of um, repeat listeners that will call in, and so you can hear their story. And there's this one woman who's been calling in for at least two years. I would say when she started calling in, she was, had high blood pressure, and she was on blood pressure medication, and she wanted to come off of the blood pressure medication. And she doesn't like drugs. She doesn't like taking drugs. And so she started to take small amounts of <clears throat> Hawthorne tincture and motherwort tincture, I believe. <clears throat> and, and as the show has progressed over the two years time, she has slowly weaned herself down off of her blood pressure medicine and then now is just taking Hawthorne and she was wondering well maybe now maybe i could just stop taking the hawthorn and the the whole idea is well you could stop taking the hawthorn but why would you because it's a nourishing herb it's something that's building your health and supporting you and it's an herb that people can take even if they don't necessarily have a heart condition but want to maintain a healthy heart as they age because it's a food. And she was, even after two years of working with it, she was still, she had always been buying the tincture and she was having a really hard time with the concept of, because she's like, I just don't want to take any drugs. And it's like, well, it's not a drug. It's an herb. But she was having a hard time making that transition in her head because she was always going and buying the Hawthorne tincture at a local store And so it still kind of felt like it was a drug, not a food. But if she were to have started making her own hawthorn tincture, which is very easy to do, uh, you just buy, you don't even have to go out and harvest the hawthorns. You can if you want, and that's even better, but you could just buy a pound of dried hawthorn berries you know, fill a jar, a third full of the hawthorn berries and fill the rest of the jar full of 100 proof vodka and let it sit for a long time. Six months, six weeks, six months, whatever, a year. And then you realize how more of a food it is, right? It's just a fruit that we're extracting into an alcohol. So that was a really interesting story to have been watching happen over the over the past two years, and I'm sure that there are many people that are similar in her shoes, and this is something that she was able to do on her own and working with her doctor. So there are other, if you really want to get into some resources as far as if you want to know more about herb and drug interactions, or if you are concerned about taking herbs and you cuz you're on some drugs or you have some health problems then there's two excellent resources available to the general public two books and they're a little bit expensive but you could always ask your local library to carry them um or to maybe find them for you or you can buy them online if you want So there's two of them. The two that I have, one is called Herbal Contraindications and Drug Interactions, plus Herbal Adjuncts with Medicines. And that's by Frances Brinker. She's a naturopathic doctor. And then the other one, and this is my preferred one. It is a little bit more expensive, and it is a beast. It is a huge encyclopedia. And it is called American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook. And this is the second edition. And it is has two people that edited it, Zoe, Zoe Gardner and Michael McGuffin. And then there's an expert advisory council with uh, Roy Upton's on it, David Winston's on it, Aviva Romm is on it, Tierra. Tirona Low Dog is on it, um, plus a few other people. So this is a really excellent reference, and I feel like it's a little easier to read um, than the first one that I mentioned. But both of these herbs, uh, sorry, both of these books talk about hawthorn in them, and I looked it up, and they they both say very similar things, and that in you know there are. And it's so sad to think about all of the uh, animals' tests and studies that have been done on herbs, and it's really hard to compare those to human humans because it's usually like injecting animals with with like really super concentrated herbal extracts. It would never be a way that we would ingest them or use them. But for hawthorn, um, safety is let's see they have like four different pa- four pages here and two different entrances on Hawthorne or Cartagus. But safety class is one. Interaction class is A, which is like the safest. Contraindications, none known. Other precautions, none known. Drug and supplement interactions, it says, some experience suggests that the dose of cardiac drugs may be reduced when Hawthorne flower and leaf are taken committedly. Um, adverse events and side effects. In a meta-analysis and systemic reviews of clinical trials, Hawthorne flower and leaf extracts have been characterized as well-tolerated in clinical trials with few adverse events reported. A preliminary human study indicated a lack of interaction of an extract of dried flowering tops of Hawthorne with low-dose insulin, metformin, glyclizide, ACE inhibitors, calcium channel blockers, B blockers, and diuretics. So that's just like the first section, and then they go into a lot more detail, if you want more detail. So really, I would hope that every doctor has this book on his shelf and pharmacist. But you can have it on your shelf, too. Or you could ask your local library to carry it. So those are, see, that's a long answer for a very short question. You might leave more confused than you started. But ultimately, the choice is yours to make. And you need to know your body and you need to listen and trust your body. And if you want to start working with an herb, just start small and in low doses and pay attention. And if it's not working out, then stop. It can be that simple. It's very rare. I can't think of any time. And if you have, if you know of a time, please tell me where someone has taken an herb for a short amount of time and has had you know, a common everyday food-like herb for a short amount of time and has had irreversible, lethal consequences to that. So it's just start small, listen to your body, work with herbs in food-like forms, decoctions, water-based extracts, 100-proof vodka tincture extracts, vinegar, herbal vinegars, and think of them as nourishing food Foods, concentrated foods that are building the health of your body. And hopefully that does mean that it will change the amount of medication that you will need and hopefully for the lesser. Other take-homes from this talk, I hope, is let's stay away from essential oils. Let's stay away from capsules and tablets of herbs. Let's stay away from supplements and standardized extracts of herbs because that's where we start running into problems if we're going to run into problems at all. I hope this has been some food for thought and and give you some insight on how to make some decisions. We have a few more questions to answer and I'll get to those in a few seconds. So stick with me and I'll be right back. Okay, so next question. Uh, Two weeks ago I made a tincture of fresh echinacea root. My husband now has a pretty bad cold and I really don't want to get it. Do you think that it would be a good idea to strain off some of the echinacea for us to take? Not sure if it has had enough time for adequate extraction. It was very fortunate to have access to that fresh root and was hoping to make a potent extraction for, well, for times just like this. What would you do if you were in this situation? I've been loading up with other herbs such as yarrow, tincture, elderberry syrup, mint, hyssop, calendula, and comfrey in a strong tea. So I replied to this listener and said, "Um, yeah, go ahead, like strain some off. And if it tingles on your tongue, then when you taste it, then it's good to go. And I'll say, you know, usually tinctures, just like in the percolation method we talked about earlier, tinctures are going to, you're going to get an a s- extract pretty quickly, even within a day or two. And you can actually see that when you make a, a hypericum, a St. John's wort or St. Jones wort tincture, within 15 minutes, that clear alcohol turns a deep Deep red, you can actually see it extracting those medicinal constituents from the flowers really within 15 minutes. So, extraction does happen quickly. The longer we let our tincture sit, the more time there is for the modulating constituents to come out of it. So, it's going to give you a more full spectrum and modulating tincture the longer you let it sit, and you're going to get more of the. Mm, like water-soluble properties from the plant. But you still will get a very medicinal tincture even within the first couple days, and it will probably be more concentrated in the poisons, quote-unquote, um, the more medic- medicinal aspects of the plant. So, And this was a fresh root tincture, so it's going to happen even faster than the dried root tincture would, I think. So she did send me an update after I sent her that replay and she said I did strain a couple ounces off and I actually counted the days it's been extracting for 25 days and yes a long lasting 10 minutes and counting tingling on my tongue yay so it sounds like she made a a beautiful extract and it was ready for her when she needed it and that is the beauty of home herbalism so good on you and thank you for sharing. Okay, next question. I'm a little bit confused about the difference between fresh and dried herbs. Is it as simple as we always want to make tinctures from fresh herbs, long and short infusions from dry herbs, oils from dry herbs, or is it a bit more complicated? Or does it more depend on the extract herb I want to work with? Like I would use rosemary, herbs with volatile oils, as a fresh herb for all remedies, or not quite. I'm just trying to find a system in it, but there's probably no system as each herb is so unique, and that's the beauty of it all, which is fine too. Am I right? <laughs> I loved this question because it's such the... uh the brain work that we go through as herbalists. It's like, oh, like I want i want it to be an easy system and for it to all make sense, but at the same point in time, it's like all so complicated and variable. And then also for like every herbalist and every experience and every herb, it could be so complicated even in just that herb. So I just kind of, I was just like, yep, yeah, pretty much, you're right. <laughs> It's all, yes, on all of those fronts. And yes, it's, could it's always different and can be more complicated, but I will go over just a couple of my general rules, but definitely for every herbalist, it's always different. And for every situation, sometimes you just have to work with what you have and it's not always going to be an ideal situation, but ultimately it's really hard to do it wrong. Like you'll, if you work with herbs you and making remedies with them, you will get something. You will get a remedy that works. But you can always tweak it and do it better, right, or do it different. And from a dry tincture herb to, and a fresh tincture herb, they're going to be different, but they're both going to have value and work. And so it's more what you have on hand. It's not like, well, I guess I can't make that because I only have dried herb, It's better to make it so that you have something on hand, right? So I would say my personal opinion, fresh is best almost always with tinctures and vinegars in my opinion. But dry is doable and is what's mostly available commercially. And I'll say a lot of people prefer dry herbs in vinegars. um, And I think that's because if you don't want to pasteurize your vinegar, then you can use dried herbs and there will be less likely to have like an interaction with the vinegar. But that's why if you use fresh herbs and you want to pasteurize your vinegar, like bring it up to a boil, reduce it to room temperature and then use it um, just to help keep any microbes from interacting with your fresh microbes on the plant material and the fresh tinctures I mean you can make a dry tincture and a fresh tincture and compare for yourself and you'll notice the difference it's like it just there's just more complexity I would say in a fresh tincture fresh herb tincture and more sweetness and it's almost milder but in a more complex way whereas like the dried herb tinctures are gonna they're gonna have more of the Poisonous constituents and less of the modulating constituents, but you know, to a varying degree. And again, when I say poisons, it's not like poisons kill you dead, it's like poisons have a strong action on the body. Uh, Tea and infusions so, nourishing herbal infusions dry is always preferred because you couldn't fit enough fresh herb in the jar for a nourishing herbal infusion. So, we weigh out one ounce of dried herb of a nourishing herb and put it in a jar. If we were going to do that, it would be 4 ounces of fresh herb to equal the same amount of dried herb and you probably couldn't even fit that in a jar. <laughs> so, we really want to concentrate the herb by drying it and getting that water out so that we can ingest more of it. And teas, I you know, I find I I like dried herb teas. Um, some herbs that are like have a lot of volatile oils to them. Um, the fresh is really nice, but like lemon balm or like freshly dried is nice because when you dry it, you are able to like concentrate the volatile oils a little bit. But if it's going to sit around and be dry for a year, um, then it's not going to be as good. And there is just a beauty of like going out and picking some leaves and pouring some boiling water over it and drinking that. But I find them to be a lot milder than the dried herb teas. Berries, roots, and seeds, um, they tend to not change a lot when they're dried. So fresh or dried is pretty comparable. Although I will say that like the fresh uh, Hawthorne berry cordial that I made, like the taste is amazing. You just don't quite get that taste with the dried hawthorn berries. But then the dried hawthorn berry tincture that I made compared to the fresh hawthorn berry is like so much more deep red. And like so many more of those antioxidants and bioflavonoids were concentrated and able to be extracted. So again, it's like they both have benefits. And it's like, well, if you could have one of each and work with them both, then that's fun too, right? <laughs> Um, infused oils they can be tough with fresh herbs because of all the water content in the fresh herbs. So that's like you know, they're gonna be more likely to go turn on you and go rancid. But then dried herbs sometimes don't give as much up to the oil. That's really kind of herb dependent and herbalist dependent. But again, herbalism is so beautiful because it is so varied. And just like the plants as a whole, the plant individually and the people working with them you know we all vary a lot herbalists vary a lot the plants vary a lot the remedies vary a lot and that's okay and that's beautiful and it's wonderful it's hard to do it wrong there's always lots of ways that you can do it better and it just comes with practice experience time experimenting being willing to experiment and finding what works best for you and also what's available to you It's like cooking a meal. Okay, last question, and this one just recently came in. I just finished your podcast on Bee balm, another amazing one. I saw some locally grown Maine Monarda fistulosa at the Portland Food Co-op. It was a dried flower. I was thinking of buying it, but I was not clear on whether the fistulosa would be good to use to make tea. I know you mentioned that you did a steam with it, but it was too potent for that. Would making a tea with the fistulosa or even cooking with it like oregano be good for immune support? Or would you recommend only using the fistulosa when fighting something and the didyma for more tonic? That's a really good question. And um, yeah, like I personally, the fistulosa is like really intense for me personally. Some people prefer it over the didyma. So this is um, definitely a personal preference. I think it would be great cooking-wise as oregano um, and would support you just as much as oregano would in your health. When making a tea of it, you could definitely make a tea of it. And if it's what's available to you and it's fresh and it's beautiful, go for it. Taste it. See what you think. If it's too strong for you, then you can um, add a, add some other herbs into it, so you're just having it in a combination with a couple herbs. But start with it first on its own and see how your body reacts to it. You might love it, you might hate it, <laughs> but again, it is available to you, so try it out. And for immune support, like I don't really think of it as like building the immune system. I definitely think about it as being highly antimicrobial and really kind of getting in to some deep-seated infections, especially in the lungs. Like if you have like a chronic bronchitis or a chronic lung issue, then it could be a really nice one to work with. But I don't really see it as necessarily like building the health of the immune system. It is definitely more antimicrobial. Um, But it also is very antioxidant and tasty, and in a way it could support the immune system because we are always exposed to all different kinds of microbes, so it can just help with that initial fight. So have fun with it. Let me know what you think and how it, how it is. its is. I'm so excited that you were able to find some locally grown fistulosa in your local co-op. How awesome. Thanks everyone so much for listening and thanks for asking me questions and and being curious as to what my take is on the answer. I hope that this has been an informative and inspiring episode and I just want to let you know that I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening and sending in questions. If you appreciate me too, I would love a five-star rating and a short review. I really value your feedback. There are a couple of people that left reviews that I want to thank. Thank you, Ailet Za. Your are Your review is beautiful. You said super informative and educational. Her voice is also super calming, and she explains things in a way that's easy to digest. I love the exploration of lore around the herbs. I love the odd book recommendation. I love the depth and scope. I love it all. Thank you so much, Aylette. That is really beautiful. And I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Another review I got um, was from Des Plains Grower from Illinois. Celeste says, I loved the talk on calendula. This was my first true dive into product making as well. I used to pull all the petals off to dry and prepare, but I heard from another herbalist that actually the main medicine is in the flower head, so I switched. When preparing the infused oil, I dry the flower at least partially then do an alcohol intermediate to for 24 hours, then add the oil. I found it produces a more vibrant color in the oil. Thank you again for your delightful, informative talks. And thank you Celeste for sharing this uh, information. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to, that I can share it with all of the listeners as well. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or my website where you can sign up for an informational and inspirational newsletter. Those are all, you can find that all with the tag Soledago Herb School. The Healthy Herb Podcast also has an IG Instagram page. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.